Welcome to Ask the Educator, a podcast brought to you by Healthmark Industries. Are you a sterile processing technician or manager? Maybe you work in infection prevention or biomedical engineering. Whether you're a frontline tech, endoscopy tech, OR nurse, or surgical services administrator, you undoubtedly have influence in medical device processing at your facility. In each episode, we speak with experts from the Healthmark Clinical Affairs team, industry leaders, or special guests from the trenches to answer your questions and bring you relevant industry information, equipping you for excellence in medical device processing. My name is Kevin Anderson, and I will be your host. Now let's get started. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Ask the Educator podcast. This is Kevin Anderson, your host, and I have with me my co-host, Adam Okada, and joining us as our guest on this episode is Dr. Marianne Drosnak. This podcast really is a follow-up to the international webinar that she just finished. We went over about uh, surveillance testing. And with that, Marianne, welcome to the show. And just if you would explain a little bit about the history and rationale behind microbial surveillance as it pertains to flexible endoscope processing. Yeah, thank you, Kevin, and and thanks everybody for joining us today. Um, I really the the history is why as to why microbial surveillance has come up is is related to the reports that we saw many years ago, back to 2012 and and maybe even before that about reports of infection related to um, contamination remaining on endoscopes after they've been reprocessed. So we saw many of those outbreaks or superbug outbreaks, as we called them, um, starting in that time period and continuing for a couple years. And then the first safety alert that we got from the FDA then was in August of 2015, where they recommended supplemental measures that enhanced duodenoscope reprocessing. So really risk mitigation strategies to be used when reprocessing duodenoscopes. And the first one on that list was culturing. So that's the first time we saw mention of that as a recommendation from the FDA. It had been used routinely as part of investigations in uh, when you know an endoscope was, uh, was suspected of being implicated in an outbreak then of course we would have cultured them even before that. But this is the first mention of, uh, from the FDA at least, of culturing duodenoscopes to help cut back on that risk. And that was meant to be done on a routine basis. So that has stayed a recommendation from the FDA up through the 2019 um, safety alert that came out from them is if you are continuing to use traditional reprocessed endoscopes like we have been, that you implement the reprocessing and then the subsequent culturing of that to show that your reprocessing program is in a state of control. Really, it's a quality control or quality assurance mechanism. So that's stayed a recommendation, but it's a little overwhelming to facilities because as I mentioned, it's it's labor intensive and time intensive and all of that. So a lot of facilities have have taken the mentality like, well, we don't have the time to do it or we don't have the people to do it. Um, and and some even as far as saying, we don't want to know. <laughs> and, and that's the one that always hurts me is, is we don't want to know what we don't want to know. So maybe they haven't embraced culturing, but there are there are ways to do it now where it's, where it's more manageable. I actually, if you don't mind, Adam, I have a follow up question to this because it just 
sparked a thought in my mind when you were talking about that and, you know, in reference to the early days and, and coming up with these cultures. One of the things I always questioned was what denotes like a negative culture test. So like we're primarily high level disinfecting these scopes, meaning they're not expected to be sterile. So when we culture them, we're expecting a positive culture, but what at what point would it be a negative result? Do you does that make sense? Like Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a great question. Yeah, it definitely is. And so by definition, you sterile, you would expect to have no no growth at all of anything. Um, whereas by high level disinfection, you'd expect no growth of our our vegetative or or typical bacterial cells, but we can't guarantee that all spores would be killed if they're there in a high number. What's uh, odd about when we're looking at the reports of infection and the outbreaks is it it's not with spore formers. It's with gram-negative bacteria that should easily be killed by our high-level disinfections and disinfectants, and they're not being. So that's what's objectionable, Kevin, is if you have any gram-negative bacteria left over, those would be indicative of um, previous patient microorganisms being left over on the scope because they would be clinically relevant organisms or that you have a problem with your water system. And we have gram negatives that love to live in water and and can contaminate endoscopes because we don't do a good job drying them. Or as I mentioned in the webinar that you can have AERs that Mm -hmm. become contaminated, water runs through them. And anytime you have water running in a consistent fashion, you can get biofilm developed. So so it, it really can tell you more likely what's going on, but we do tolerate, I'll say, in the FDA method, it allows for low levels of low concern organisms. Those should also be killed by high level disinfection, but they're more commonly contaminants from the air or from touching something that you shouldn't have touched when you're taking the sample or they're talking when they're taking the sample and we you know, we spit out a little, uh, a little <laughs> saliva uh, that has has bacteria in it, and we artificially contaminate the sample. So there, there are caveats in there for low levels of low to mid concern organisms. But really, by definition, all should be killed by high level disinfection. That that helps. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's really kind of the type of organism left behind that that makes a difference. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you. So, Adam, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, absolutely. And as you guys are talking, I'm just sort of like as the SPD professional who's been really entrenched in SPD, I worked very briefly in a high level disinfection area. uh, But I'm hearing you guys talking about microbes and culturing and all these different things, gram negative versus gram positive and all that. Uh, This isn't really in sterile processing wheelhouse, right? I mean, if sterile processing professionals are supposed to be doing this, this is not really something they've been used to. So, Uh, In the webinar, you also mentioned that the traditional culturing can take two to three people uh, to actually get that culture done. Uh, Do you think that the the complex science behind it and then also the actual physical labor that goes into it, do you think that's the reason maybe this hasn't been done in the past? Yes. Can I let it go with that? No, just kidding. (laughs) I will will talk about that a little more. But yes, uh, because of the cumbersome nature of the devices themselves being long and delicate, it's it's naturally hard to take the samples. And just like we have so many steps in reprocessing them, there's likewise many steps in trying to take samples from them. So you really need to have 
two to three people. So that's challenging in of itself with the staffing levels that we're seeing in sterile processing. Adam, do you do you think most facilities would have two to three people that they could give up from their normal uh, daily work to to be able to take these samples? So we often see IP getting involved in it and helping to take the samples and and. A lot of facilities who successfully implement cultures will have a a super user who's trained that really knows how to take these samples in conjunction with IP, either helping take the samples or taking this. So working together really to do it right. And the most successful, if you're not using those newer methods like TFF that I talked about, if you're not using that, it's, it's most successful when having three people do it. One, two, that stays like, you know, sterile, clean, not really sterile because we're not in a sterile area, but you know what I mean? One that stays clean, one that that opens things that's that's not clean, and then one that's reading the multitude of steps that you have to do. So that's the most successful way to do it in a clean area with all sterile items and uh, PPE and all of that around you, you have to do this as clean to as sterile as you can to not have that contamination. And that really does hold facilities back from a staffing issue and a complexity issue too. Yeah, that's a that's a great question because that was one of those things that I, uh, when this whole thing came out, I was just wondering how are people going to actually perform this test and having two to three people makes a lot more sense. I wish I had the opportunity to see uh, somebody do this in real time. But that being said, towards the end of the presentation, you had mentioned TFF, which is an alternative to the traditional culturing method, at, at least in terms of extracting a sample. So I'd like to at least get into that a little bit because this is a, a newer development uh, with us. And so I think it's really important that people know that this is available. So it's something that we're introducing to the market right now or very soon, I should say. Uh, But TFF is turbulent fluid flow. Um, And what this is, is an enclosed system. So there's a box much like the size of an endoscope drying unit that we're used to seeing. In fact, this unit does have drying capabilities too, um, as an added benefit. But it is an enclosed system that you, you hook up water, sterile water to it in a syringe, and it flushes air into that water at a specific rate that's then injected into the endoscope, and it creates that shearing effect or that contact with the lining or the, the channel itself where we don't typically get a lot of flow um, when taking samples. So by doing it, it's an enclosed system. We have, Everything we have when you're taking cultures is sterile that touch the endoscope. So your sampling container and your sterile water and all of that to help reduce that risk of contamination. And there's so much less manipulation that we're doing with the endoscope to get those samples out that you have a decreased risk of contamination. And you have one person that sets it up and, and starts the process. It takes the sample and then you unhook it. So uh, you only really need one person to do that. So by by using TFF, you're taking um, um, enclosed, less risk of contamination, and you can you can test that sample that you're taking then for microbial surveillance. So you add your neutralizer right to it. You pick up then with that FDA culture method um, and test those then for bacteria, and then identify anything that grows. And I did touch on the the much higher efficacy rates when 
using TFF for extraction because you don't just have that simple laminar flow through the channel. You actually have that air embedded in the water, creating that shearing. So if there's things there like biofilm potentially, or, or just some veget- low number of vegetative microorganisms, so regular bacteria, um, you're more likely to actually get them out using TFF than you would be with traditional sampling. So higher quality as far as the extraction rate goes, easier to use, less people. So it is um, you know, it is a, a, a technology that I think will will catch on pretty quickly. When I saw this, because I saw this for the first time at HSPA um, and I was kind of got the demo and, and got a feel for what it is like. This is so much easier, like, like as far as like all of those things we talked about and the complexities of it, this kind of simplifies it and it gives you really a step by step process that one person can do. Um, so I'm super excited about this, but me too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any kind of final thoughts you want to leave people with about uh, microbial surveillance or uh, places to start, things like that? Yeah. Thanks, Adam. I, as I always say, I, I really just want facilities to think about it and don't dismiss doing endoscope sampling routine. Of course, you're going to do it in an outbreak setting or, or suspected outbreak, but routine microbial sampling, don't dismiss it because you think it's too complex or too much time. There are, as I said in, in the webinar, many facilities who have figured out a way to build this quality feedback mechanism in on a, a routine basis without disrupting things too much. So whether it be you figure out the interval that you're doing it or you use TFF or you do gram negative testing with the now kit, the now test, or, you know, you, you have more, more endoscopes or you sample them less frequently, whatever it is, there are ways that you can implement microbial surveillance into your practices, reducing or minimizing um, the amount of disruption that it can have. Yes, there is going to be additional cost, and and that's very variable depending on whether you're taking all the samples internally and and sending that internally, or you're buying a kit, or you're purchasing TFF unit, or the now test. It's very variable what the cost is going to be, but there are a variety of ways that you can implement something that is going to help to build that quality into your practices. There are too many reports now of culture positive with high concern organisms after reprocessing to ignore it or to think that it can't happen in your facility. And as I alluded to in the webinar, there are a lot of facilities that have been culturing, but not using good practice. They're not using neutralizer or they're not letting their plates incubate for long enough. So they think that they have good practices because they always get zero growth. Well, I'll tell you, you don't always get zero growth on these. In fact, I would say as often you get growth on these samples as having no growth. Um, and, And some of that time it'll be low concern organisms at a low level. So it's, it's not something actionable, but sometimes you do get growth of gram negative organisms and and that's huge that shouldn't be there at any level so you're you don't know what you don't know if you're not looking and if you're not doing a high quality uh, surveillance program and using the right methods and incubation times so my advice is just to figure out a way you can do something and we're always here to help uh, you know, bounce ideas off of, and and this is an area that I specialize in. So I'm always willing to work with facilities to try to you know figure out what their options would be or or ways that they can implement some surveillance 
um, into their endoscope, specifically duodenoscopes. You always want to start with those, but we can do more into those programs. Excellent. Thank you, Marianne. And uh, great podcast follow-up to the international webinar. So I do want to remind everybody, you know, if they happen to be listening to this before they got the chance to see the webinar uh, and they're, you're, you're thinking of other questions, they might be answered in that webinar. So please go back to hmark.com, check under the education tab uh, for webinars, and you can view past webinars there. If you have further questions, definitely look at that as a resource. But as Marianne said, you feel free to reach out to us here at uh, Healthmark. You can reach out to your local rep. If you have questions about TFF or the NOW test, as uh, Marianne talked about as well, uh, both are great options for you if you are interested in surveillance testing of any kind. So thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you subscribe and continue to listen and continue to learn. And thank you for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye, everyone. All opinions expressed on this show are those of the presenters. Before using any medical device, it is important to review the device manufacturer's instructions for use.